Hey, how's it going, everybody? We're here with episode 10 of the Harvard Homies NBA Draft Podcast, and I'm Jackson Hoy, and I'm joined in studio by Cesar Smokowski. How you doing, Cesar? Hey, how's it hanging, people? Uh, I'm doing well, Jackson. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to uh, our podcast. We're back with another episode going over our mock draft, our the second part to our four-part series, so uh, let's get into it, man. Yeah, if you have not listened to the first part, be sure to go give that a listen. It is up on iTunes, so be sure to listen to our first 15 picks because today we are doing picks 16 through 30, the second half of the first round, and this is really, in my opinion, the most interesting part of the draft just because there are so many guys who, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, you know, this is the range where some people have guys, you know, as second rounders where other people have them as fringe lottery guys. So it's really interesting to see the different ways people value players. And as we've mentioned with our mock draft methodology, you know, we do a mix of what we think teams will do and what we value them as, what we think they should do. And so we're going to walk away with some pretty interesting picks from this crop of guys with that mixed methodology. And uh, there'll be some guys who get left out. There'll be some guys who maybe get overdrafted in some people's minds. That's the great part of the draft is everyone has their own opinion. And before we get started, be sure to go leave a review on iTunes. Um, it helps people find the show. Uh, as, we, as we said, we've been doing great the last few weeks, but keep leaving reviews, keep listening, because uh, it's helping our show a lot, and we're help, being helped growing. So, yeah, we're, we're thankful for all the support, and uh, keep showing up because it's awesome. Yeah, man, thanks for all the support. Uh, let's get into it, man. Yeah, so with the 16th pick, in our mock draft, we've got the Chicago Bulls selecting, and we figured that they'd look to the front court just because, you know, they've got Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade in the backcourt for the time being, and they have a lot of young guys back there, you know, Cameron Payne, Michael Carter-Williams, Jaron Grant, and we made a pick that, you know, pretty easy to see, a good match of value and fit, and we got Jared Allen going to the Bulls at number 16. Yeah, man, he makes uh, a lot of sense out, coming out of Texas, the center, uh, of course, the Bulls have been sort of thin on centers with Robin Lopez taking a lot of that, uh, a lot of the minutes at that position. But he uh, having a guy like Jared Allen come in who can add some energy and some youth into that lineup wouldn't hurt uh, Jared Allen. Of course, one reason that I've been uh, sort of apprehensive about him he he is a little bit small about. Uh, about six ten and a half, and then, but he does have a very good wingspan at seven five. So he he's a slightly undersized center, but he has a good wingspan and uh, adds a lot of uh, offensive prowess and can have a decent impact on the defensive end. So that'll be uh, a good pick for the Bulls if he still is there for them. Yeah, six ten with that seven five wingspan, as you mentioned, that's that's plenty of size to play center. You know. Obviously, teams have those seven-footers, those seven-one guys. But Jared Allen, as you mentioned with that wingspan, should be able to cover for that. And you mentioned the Bulls having Robin Lopez locked in for a couple more years. So they wouldn't need Jared Allen to start right away. They could have the time to develop him. And, you know, putting him alongside Bobby Portis is another young piece in that front court to develop. I think the Bulls just need to add talent. And Jared Allen's a good value pick here. I mean, he's the number 16 guy on my board. So getting the number 16 guy at the number 16 pick, that's good value. And Allen's a guy that they can groom uh, as part of their core going forward as they try to, you know, uh, find guys to put next to Jimmy Butler or, you know, maybe find guys to be part of the next Bulls core if they do decide to move on from Jimmy Butler either this summer or sometime next season. Yeah, Jared Allen would fit well with the young core and continue their uh, re- continue their rebirth and re. Uh, rebranding of the team up uh, sort of post uh, Jimmy Butler and seeing where Dwayne Wade uh, possibly ends up if he does end up leaving Chicago yeah and Allen just as a fit with the Bulls other young front court pieces you know uh, Cristiano Felicio has been a guy who's kind of been successful he'll be a free agent this offseason and whether or not they bring him back uh, and then of, of course we mentioned Bobby Portis uh, Nikola Mirotic is another guy that's a free agent uh, none of those guys really have rim protector ability and none of those guys are stellar rebounders. You know, Felicio is pretty decent, but he's nothing special. And I think Allen, you know, when he's locked in, can be a good rebounder. He's kind of inconsistent, but he's got all the tools. And uh, his size and his instincts on defense give him some rim protector upside. So 
he's a guy who can mix in with those other unique front court pieces. You know, Portis and Miritich are kind of more offensive minded, uh, stretch bigs a little bit. Uh, Portis is developing that face up game. So, Allen's a good complement to those skill sets. And I think as part of that younger Bulls core, he'd be a nice piece. Yeah, he, he certainly fits. Yeah. Uh, on to the number 17 pick, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, one of the most interesting teams in this draft, just because, you know, they have a lot of young studs. You know, you're Chris Middleton, obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jabari Parker, Thon, Thon Maker, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, and then even, you know, Tony Snell. I mean, Rashad Vaughn's still developing. Uh, John Henson's not too old, even though he hasn't hardly shown anything. So this is a very team with a lot of young guys and obviously a, a lot of contributors who are young. And so they're looking to add just another stellar player to their core. And uh, the place that some people have projected them picking a big man, but I don't really see that just because, you know, I think Maker is their center of the future. I mean, he had some pretty limited minutes, but I think that he's easy to project as becoming a really valuable weapon at the center spot. And, especially given Giannis's ability to slide to center with his size. So I, I'm not really seeing, and then they, of course they have big contracts invested in John Henson and potentially Greg Monroe if he opts into his player option. So I'm not really seeing a big man investment as making sense for the Bucks. But the place that I'd like them to look at is, you know, sort of a an off-ball guard who can add to their offense and, of course, be a defensive contributor uh, because obviously you love to have two-way players. And... I think they've got a perfect fit for that in Donovan Mitchell, who is the number 12 player on my board. And getting him at 17, I think, would be an absolute steal for the Bucks. Yeah, that would be a great move for uh, Milwaukee. Donovan Mitchell, of course, as we talking about, has great potential at that shooting guard spot. So uh, he'd really work well with that young core. And they've got so much talent that they can really put the time and effort into developing Donovan Mitchell. So... Uh, I'm I'd be surprised if he does go this far, but he, he this would be a really great spot for him and being around a lot of young, talented guys that can really develop and grow for the future. Yeah, Mitchell's stock's kind of been all over the place. You know, some people have him firmly planted in the lottery, while others think he's more of a 20s guy. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the board at 17 for the Bucks, and I just think he'd be a very phenomenal fit there because you know he could sort of take those Del Vadova minutes. And, you know, Del Vidova last year was decent, but not, not that great. And I think Malcolm Brogdon is sort of the, uh, the de facto point guard for them, uh, alongside Giannis, of course, ha- having so much ball handling duties. And I think Mitchell can assume some, some, some of those other ball handling duties. Uh, he, he does have a bit of a combo guard profile. He's not a terrible distributor. I mean, he's not great at it yet, but he's, got, he's flashed some stuff, you know. He, I think he had an six, 16% assist percentage. So that's... That, that's a little bit of upside as a creator. And just uh, playing next to Brogdon, I think he'd fit really well because Brogdon's, you know, he's a little bit bigger. He can probably guard shooting guards. And Mitchell, I mean, at 6'3 with a 6'10 wingspan, he can probably handle two guards, but he could absolutely shut down some opposing point guards on defense and just be another weapon on Milwaukee for just creating a killer defense with a ton of length. And I just love the way Mitchell fits, especially given the Bucks positionless nature and the way Mitchell can slide between backcourt spots uh, I think that'd be a really phenomenal pickup for the Bucks. and getting my number 12 player at the number 17 pick would also be incredible value outside of the obvious fit yeah he makes a lot of sense he'd be perfect for that system where you don't you're not tied to an exact identity and he certainly shows versatility and can be a big impactor on defense so that that makes a lot of sense and will be uh, interesting to see where they can go at number 17 yeah, um, it, he was really kind of the obvious pick for me. I, I mean, I looked at Jawan Evans a little bit in terms of adding a point guard, but I think that, you know, it's you don't really want to add a guy who has to have the ball in his hands a whole lot, and I think Jawan Evans is a guy who's going to have to have the ball in his hands. And I think Mitchell's a guy who can more succeed off the ball, you know. He's been pretty good spotting up from the perimeter, shooting better, better spotting up than off the dribble, better taking open shots, and then, of course, that defensive ability. So... At worst, he slides into Tony Snell's role. At best, he becomes a whole lot better than Tony Snell. And so I really think this would be a great spot for Mitchell to go to the Bucks at the number 17 pick. And that takes us to the number 18 pick, staying in the division with the Indiana Pacers. And they're a team that, you know, they, they kind of have uh, some stuff up in the air. You know, 
Paul George might not be on the team next season, depending on what kind of offers they get for him, what they try to do with him. Uh, they've they've got some holes on their roster, particularly at the shooting guard spot. And so that's where I was going to have them turn with this pick. And I chose Luke Kennard from Duke to be the Pacers' number 18 overall pick. And I think that he'd be a great fit with the Pacers just because, you know, I think Monte Ellis is past his time of being a starting level shooting guard. I just think that he's such a liability on defense and he doesn't really bring much on offense. I think it's it's time for him to not be a starter anymore. And, you know, maybe Luke Kennard doesn't start right away, but he can be their shooting guard of the future because, you know, outside of Monte Ellis, they've really just been playing C.J. Miles at the two. And he's really just kind of a small forward. He's not. He's kind of too big and bulky to be a shooting guard. He's not, he can't really hang with them on defense. And Walt Kennard is probably going to have similar defensive struggles. I think his sharpshooting ability that he, that he can bring to that Pacers offense and that injection of smart play and everything would be a real boost to that team for the, the Pacers. Yeah, being able to lock up a shooting guard or, as you're talking about, a small forward would be, would be a really good move for them uh, with all the uncertainty that they have. Uh, Luke Kennard, of course, as we've been pointing out in recent episodes, he is an elite uh, shooter and can uh, create his own shot really well. So he'd be a big part of that offense going forward if they're depending on him and Miles Turner and other guys that they're looking for that they can actually make sure are there in the coming years. So if they do have them there and that would make a lot of sense for them, uh, that'd be certainly an interesting piece. And going forward, since they don't have too much certainty, but that'd be a, certainly a good value. Yeah, um, I don't really see any other guys in this range that made a whole lot of sense for Indiana. Um, people have talked about Terrence Ferguson, but obviously us two are a little lower on Ferguson than most other people are. Um, they're another team that you could look at for Jawan Evans, but I think Jeff Teague is, is fine for now. I think they'll stick with Jeff Teague for the foreseeable future probably. But um, it'll be... Pacers are a team to watch, but I think Kennard's a pick that makes sense for them at the, at least right now, given the way the roster is constructed and their need as shooting guards. So that that's a pick that I think makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if they keep Paul George, Kennard slides slides nice next to Paul George. And if they trade Paul George, you know, he's part of that young core alongside Miles Turner and potentially whoever they get in a trade for Paul George. So Kennard's, Kennard's an easy pick there. Make, yeah, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, um, at number 19, we've got the Atlanta Hawks picking, and they're a really interesting team because, you know, right now they're a team with a lot of wings, and of course they've got Dennis Schroeder locked up at point guard, and their front court was probably the best part of their team last season, you know, with Paul Millsap and Dwight Howard, but almost everyone in the front court besides Dwight Howard is a free agent this offseason, so there's a lot up in the air, and I was kind of looking at them, you know, looking at where this draft is, what they need, and I settled upon front court as the position I was going to target for them. And I ended up taking John Collins with that pick. And I think Collins is a guy who makes a lot of sense in Atlanta. Just being able to come in and play next to Dwight Howard at the power forward spot, you know, maybe not the best spacing situation, but hey, John Collins can fill it up and he can rebound. And Dwight Howard can cover for him on defense. And I think Collins is a guy who, you know, in Mike Budenholzer's system where they've been able to develop guys shooting strokes, he could end up becoming a real offensive weapon. Yeah, John Collins is going to continue the legacy of Wake Forest University of great big men, uh, of course, following in Tim Duncan, the second greatest player of all time's footsteps. So uh, John Collins would obviously be a huge offensive weapon and uh, could certainly develop uh, how uh, how well he played and all the talent that he has on on offense in uh in Atlanta, so you think about a front court with him and Dwight, that'd be uh, certainly an interesting uh, uh, pairing. So uh, John Collins, of course, you think about how explosive he can be if you bring him off the bench and uh, the added scoring that you're going to get from him. So that'll be an interesting fit if Atlanta wants to go with him and being able to see how they can develop around him with so many things that they're not sure about of outside of just their uh, point guard with Dennis Schroeder. So uh, that'll be interesting and in seeing how they can utilize John Collins to his fullest. Yeah, Tim Duncan. Uh, that might be a little, a little, a uh, little ambitious for John Collins. But then again, Budenholzer was an assistant in San Antonio, and John Collins put up some pretty ridiculous stats last year at Wake Forest. Now, nah, but really, I think John Collins, uh, Atlanta would be a good spot for him. You know. 
Hawks University has generally been mentioned for wings, but there hasn't really been a power forward that's truly had the tutelage from a young time under Coach Bud. And John Collins, if he develops that three-point shot, I think he could become a phenomenal offensive weapon. And, you know, defensively, I think he's got the quickness to guard power forwards. He's just so lost on that end in terms of his IQ. But I think that the Hawks could be a team that really, you know, could maximize John Collins and get a lot out of him. You know, maybe he's never a superstar, but I think the Hawks could turn him into a really good player. I mean, Paul Millsap was a guy who came out of college kind of just known as a rebounder and not much else. And with the Jazz, he got a little bit better, but it wasn't really until he came to Atlanta that he blossomed and became a four-time All-Star. And, you know, the Hawks could do that same sort of thing with a guy like John Collins and turning him into more than just a rebounder. Exactly. That's that's certainly what we're hoping for him and John Collins uh, will be an in, in an interesting scenario if he does get picked up by the Hawks. Yeah, the more I talk about this pick, the more I like it. I, I, I'm hoping John Collins ends up in Atlanta because I think that's a great situation for both parties. Uh, at number 20, we've got the second pick of the first round for the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, this is just, this team is in a very unique position with their picks. And uh, what we tried to do with their picks was, you know, since they're a pretty balanced roster, we tried to go one pick front court, one pick forward, and one pick guard. But we struggled because, you know, we were looking for one of these picks to be a stash guy just because, again, their roster is so full. But right here at 20, it was hard to find a forward or a guard who's a reasonable stash prospect that's also a good value here. And so we kind of went with a, a wild card pick, but it's a fit that I really like. And we ended up putting Shemi Ojale from SMU at number 20 to the Trailblazers. And some people might think this is a reach for Ojale, but I think Ojale is a supremely talented player. I think he's an going to be an awesome offensive weapon in the NBA. And I think he could develop on the defensive end as long as he gets smarter and puts in better effort. And Portland's had success developing forwards. I mean, they picked up Alfaruk Aminu and Maurice Harkless basically off the scrap heap and turned them, in, and turned them into capable starters. And I think Ojale is another guy that they could really build into being a solid forward. Yeah, Ojale has crazy potential. I think that if they really are looking for the best value at this point, they... Uh, Ojale is their best bet. He, as a uh, combo forward, he makes a lot of sense for them being able to, uh, as you're talking about, develop a well-balanced roster. And Ojale, I think that since they have so many pieces uh, already locked down, that I think that at this point he'll probably be the best bet in terms of being able to actually make an impact. And uh, if they do decide to draft him, he'd be a really good position giving Portland another uh, dynamic offensive weapon. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, we're higher on Ojale than most are. I've got him number 20 on my board. Uh, most people have him, you know, maybe late 20s, early 30s, maybe even lower than that. But I just think that Portland, uh, in looking for a forward here, I mean, I thought about taking a guard, but there wasn't a guy I was really comfortable with taking this high. You know, I thought about Derek White. I thought about Frank Jackson, but I just... I wasn't comfortable with uh, those guys being here, taking them here, and I wanted to grab a forward. And I didn't really think there was a better value forward at this spot that made sense for, for Portland than Shemi Ojale. I think for a long time, I've really liked the idea of Ojale in Portland just because the way they use their forwards is very conducive to a guy like Ojale who can swing between the forward spots. You know, guys like Harkless and Aminu already, they use them between the forward spots. So I think Ojale is a guy who could really succeed in a place like Portland where they value versatility and you know on a team that doesn't really you know I guess they put in Yusuf Nurkic but they didn't don't really have any scoring from their forwards I mean he was really just a spot-up guy same with Harkless and given uh, Ojale's offensive abilities you know as an ISO scorer they could really mix in some different ways to get the ball in the bucket and Portland might not necessarily need that I think defense is probably a bigger need for them but I think Ojale is a good value here and if they decide to move on from a C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard, as some people have suggested, um, he can be a boost to that offense if they turn one of those guys into more of a defensive-minded player. Yeah, exactly. He makes the most sense and is the best value at that pick. So, you know, they certainly have the flexibility. As we've been talking about, they have so many first-round picks that, you know, they they can certainly have room for uh, to take a risk. So, suddenly, Ojale is definitely the uh, in our eyes, the best option for them uh, at that spot. Yeah, um, 
Next up is the 21st pick, the Oklahoma City Thunder selecting. And they're another team that is very interesting to watch because, again, they don't really have uh, many good ways to acquire players. You know, they're kind of capped out with big investments in Steven Adams and Victor Oladipo about to kick in. And then, of course, they're probably looking at a super max for Russell Westbrook this offseason if they can get him to sign on to it. So, but they do have a lot of young guys, you know. Uh, they brought in guys like Jeremy Grant, and they've got Andre Roberson, who they might look to bring bring back. And so they're kind of set in terms of the front court and their forward spots, but the backcourt's a place that really needs a lot of work. You know, having Samaje Christian as their backup point guard in the playoffs is basically unacceptable. I mean, that's one that was probably the worst spot any team had in the playoffs was backup point guard for the Thunder. Just uh, Samaje Christian's a D League player. No offense to him, but that that's pretty unacceptable to have that guy as your backup point guard. And that's why with this pick, I went with Jawan Evans from Oklahoma State, keeping him in the state of Oklahoma, bringing him to the Thunder, and coming in right away as Russell Westbrook's backup. Yeah, Samaj Christian wasn't exactly the perfect uh, spot, uh, perfect uh, person for the Thunder. If you need somebody to hold down the uh, fort while Westbrook isn't on the court. So, uh, Jawan Evans, of course, a undersized point guard at about uh, six foot or just under six foot. So, he certainly showed decent versatility at uh, Oklahoma State. And uh, I, I think he was pretty good. He isn't quite breaking into that uh, uh, top class of point guards that we see in this draft. But it's certainly a need pick. Oklahoma has certainly had those problems with uh, that backup point guard. So if they can get a guy that's decent behind Westbrook, I think that that'll uh, certainly be a big asset for them. Yeah, and I think Evans is good enough in time to maybe play next to Westbrook. You know, Westbrook's uh, a big dude, a strong enough guy who probably has the ability to defend two guards in time with Evans guarding point guards. Because I think Evans, he's a real. I think he's a really good point guard. I mean, I think he's being vastly underrated in terms of the guys in this class. I mean. 43.6 assist percentage to a 13.6 turnover percentage. Those are some phenomenal numbers in terms of creation for others. And he did all that while scoring about 19 points per game. So I think he's been underrated. Um, he's also a pretty good defender. You know, 3.3% steal percentage. Very good number. Uh, creates a lot of plays on defense with that 6.5 wingspan and his tenacious play. I think, I think Evans is a guy who could really surprise a lot of people. And... You know, in Oklahoma City, learning from one of the best point guards and arguably the best point guard in the game in Russell Westbrook, who can teach him uh, how to be aggressive, how to get his shot, that sort of thing. Uh, that'll, that'll help him a lot, I think. And Evans is a guy that they can develop. Um, you know, I know they took Cameron Payne a couple years ago, and he didn't pan out. But I think Evans is a guy who's much easier to project because he's got that playmaking ability. He's got that translatable scoring and I think as he has more help, I mean, he created a lot of his looks for himself. He's a guy who could really flourish on Oklahoma City. Yeah, I don't know about Westbrook being the best point guard because you forgot about a guy called Wardell Curry. I said I said arguably. Arguably? Who is arguing that? It doesn't matter. But Jawan Evans, yeah, he makes sense. They need that backup guy, and if he does play next to him, uh, it, it makes sense, and that's that'll be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, definitely. Um. The next team up is the Brooklyn Nets picking with the number 22 pick. And the Nets are going to be a very interesting team to watch on draft night because, you know, obviously with a roster so devoid of talent that doesn't really have hardly anyone on it, you know, obviously the worst team in the NBA last year sent their pick to the Boston Celtics and will do that again next year as well. So they're a team that just is, they're a wasteland team, as I like to call them. And I'm just... So they could really go anywhere, and it would not surprise me if with at least one of their two first-round picks, they take a swing for the fences. And that's why at number 22, I've got them taking one of my uh, pet pet guys in this draft, Jonathan Jean from France. Uh, 7'2", with a 7'6", wingspan. Jean is a huge dude, but he's very, very thin. 207 pounds. They're going to have to develop his strength if they bring him in. They're going to have to try to develop his offensive game because, you know, he's flashed some shooting ability, some face-up ability, but at this point he's basically just a roller and a dunker. And defensively is where I really like John. I think he's, you know, obviously we've talked about how mobile he is, 
and of course his shot blocking ability with his phenomenal size. And I think he could be a real difference maker on defense, but he's very raw and they're going to have to have him add a lot of strength if they want him to be a good player. Yeah, the Nets certainly need a big time savior at this point, but uh, Jean is a certainly an interesting prospect since he's so raw. You're, as you're talking about, he has great size and length, but you, he certainly needs to add uh, strength and weight to complement his mobility and uh, the impact that he makes on defense. So if the Nets really want to put in the effort as they need to to be able to develop a quality guy i think that jean certainly has potential but he certainly is going to need a lot of effort and a lot of uh, focus to be able to develop uh his offensive game and put on weight to be able to maintain that center spot and you know not be pushed around as much even though he's so long yeah and the reason i like this pick for the nets is with their two first round picks you know there's maybe they want to stash one of these guys for a couple of years, and Jean gives them to the ability to to do that. You know, he's still only 19, so they can have him hang in the in with Lehmans or another team in Europe for a couple of years while they wait to bring him over and wait to have an actual team for him to join. And so whether or not they bring him over right away, I think he's a project for them to develop. And he's with two first round picks, they can afford to take a shot on one of them. And I think Jean's a guy who should pan out given his mobility and defensive upside, but even if he doesn't, I think the risk is worth it for the Nets. Yeah, they certainly need to uh, to take take a swing, and this this will be one of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, after the Nets, we've got the Toronto Raptors picking at number twenty three, and the Raptors are a very interesting team in this draft because you know in recent years they've invested so much in their front court. You know, last year picking. Yaka Pertl and Pascal Siakam in the first round. Both those guys kind of were a little bit disappointing as rookies. Didn't really show a whole lot, especially Pertl. But, and then of course they have Serge Ibaka that they traded for and Jonas Valanciunas, who they've got a big contract invested in. And then Lucas Nogueda was pretty impressive last season too. So, And then of course, I forgot to even mention Patrick Patterson. But Patterson and Ibaka are both free agents this offseason. And I believe Nogueda is too. So... With three of those guys up, up in the air, it'll be interesting to see how they value front court needs in this draft. But outside of that, they, they're pretty stacked on the wing as well with you know DeRozan, Norman Powell locked in on that wing spot. And then they but at guard, uh they're kind of short, you know. They've got Lowry, but he's a free agent, and then Corey Joseph, and then that's basically it. I mean, they have DeLon Wright, but he's been pretty awful and hasn't shown a whole lot for them. So uh with the twenty third pick, I had them going in the direction of taking a guard especially in a draft that's sort of weak after that, of course, top 14 in terms of guards. And we had the Raptors taking the favorite of the draft community, Derek White. And I think White's a guy who could fit really well with the Toronto Raptors because if Kyle Lowry leaves and Corey Joseph is their starting point guard, then White it can be a change of pace from uh, Joseph coming off the bench because Joseph is more of a pass-first guard who focuses on the defensive end, whereas White can be a you know a big-time scorer who can inject a lot into that offense in terms of shooting, uh, but also mix in a little bit of playmaking. And he can also play next to Corey Joseph, you know, six foot three and uh, six foot three and a half with a six, seven and a half wingspan, I think. Let me double check on that. Yeah, Derek White, six, four and a half with a six, seven and a half wingspan, excuse me. So he's got the size to defend two guards. And I honestly think he's more of a two guard at the NBA level, but with the Raptors, he can play in that combo guard role, whether it be off the bench or maybe he does start next to DeRozan if Lowry leaves. Maybe wins that spot over Corey Joseph. But I think White would be a good investment for the Raptors just because in terms of young guards, they don't have many. Yeah, he makes a lot of sense. He's one of the better senior uh, talents that we've been, that uh, is available in this draft. And he makes sense with the uh, if Kyle Lowry moves, then they're uh, absent at that uh, two position. So that'll make sense for them. And uh, Derek White, of course, has... All the uh, all the excuse me all the the skill set to be able to complement DeRozan well and if he does win the job over Corey Joseph he can work well in that Toronto offense and obviously uh, has shown a lot of versatility in uh, in his time in Colorado so that'll be interesting to see how Toronto uh, deals with all the moving pieces that they have and uh, how they'll uh, hopefully incorporate him. Yeah, it's a very interesting summer for Toronto, but I think Derek White's a guy that 
they can bet on as being a sure thing and get that combo guard spot locked down, whether or not he's coming off the bench and whether or not they bring back Lowry. I think White is a guy who could benefit them just because, again, they don't have a lot of depth at guard. And after trading Terrence Ross, they might look to play Powell and DeRozan more at the three, you know, with Damari Carroll kind of struggling there. And then move Derek White to the two a little bit, mix in that. But White's shooting ability, his scoring ability, and then, of course, his flashes on defense. You know, he's a pretty good shot blocker. I think he's a guy that Toronto could look back on and say, wow, we made a really good pick here. Yeah, he he certainly fits in that system well. Yeah, uh, at number 24, we've got the uh, Utah Jazz picking. And Jazz are another interesting team because they've got a lot of their roster set. And so... I wanted to find a stash pick for them with this number 24 selection. And I think we found a good mix of team need, but also stash ability at the number 24 spot with Isaiah Hartenstein for the Utah Jazz. Um, backup center is kind of a need for them. You know, Jeff Withy hasn't really been much in that role. And when Rudy Gobert's off the floor, sometimes they'll play Derek Favors there. But, you know, there's question about whether they'll keep Derek Favors going forward. And... Hartenstein's a guy that they can stash with Zalgiris for another couple years. You know, he's barely 19, so they can easily wait on him to come over if they want to stash him or something like that. And he's he's definitely a guy who I think could develop into a very good player and maybe even be able to play next to Rudy Gobert, uh, given his uh, flashes of mobility on the defensive end. Yeah, man. When Isaiah Hartenstein is a a excellent NBA player, I'm taking full responsibility for all of his success. I got you, Isaiah. But uh, he would <laughs> certainly make sense for the Jazz uh, He as a guy that they can uh, continue to have play internationally and then when they need him in that uh, front court to work well with Gobert at either the center spot as a backup center or at that power forward spot. Uh, he makes sense and provides a lot of mobility and shooting for a big man. So he certainly is a great talent for them. And down the road, he would be a great asset. Yeah, uh, I like how you mentioned the asset because, of course, these stashable players do become trade pieces. Uh, you saw uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich sent from the Suns to the Kings last summer in that trade for the Marquise Chris pick. So these stashable players can become trade assets. And adding Hartenstein as a trade asset would be good for Utah uh, because you know that's probably better than an intangible first-round pick when you have a guy that you can point to and say is an asset and you know maybe a team values Hartenstein more than you know your traditional mid to late first round pick so I think that picking up a guy like that whether you use him as an asset or you want to bring him over and utilize as Cesar mentioned his mobility his flashes of shooting his playmaking ability um uh, there's probably some people who'd say like Hartenstein maybe a Nikola Jokic light version and maybe I buy into that a little bit but it's Jokic is obviously a very rare talented player but Hartenstein's ball handling ability for a center is very promising. And I think he's a guy that, you know, if a team takes a shot on him and whether they want to stash him or keep him, he's a unique asset. And I think that he could be valuable to a team. Yeah, he, he certainly is a one of a kind and proposes a lot of value for uh, the Jazz. So it'll be interesting to see if they if they if they do draft him, if they keep him or uh, as you've been talking about, stash him and use him as a uh, as a chess piece, so it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. Yeah, definitely. That brings us to the Orlando Magic picking at number 25 with their second selection of the first round, and they're they're another weird team because, uh, as we've mentioned, they've, they're kind of kind of weird because they have guys locked up, but none of them are really very good. So there's a lot of different directions they could go, but we went with a project big man for them in Justin Patton from Creighton and I think this is a good value pick for the Magic just getting a project big like Patton who you know we've mentioned his flashes of ability as you know a transition athlete who can potentially add stuff on defense but who needs to add a lot of toughness and smartness to his game and you know Frank Vogel is a guy who's succeeded in coaching up defensive bigs in the past you know he's the one who molded Roy Hibbert into one of the NBA's best rim protectors for a couple years so getting a guy like Patton and trying to build him into the starting center of the future, you know, whether or not they want to stick with Nikola Vucevic and Bismack Biombo going forward. Maybe Patton's a project for a few years down the road when they move on from those guys and then he's ready to play because he's not a guy who's going to who's going to probably be worth minutes right away, but 
if they develop him and give him a shot, he could turn into a really good player. Justin Patton makes a lot of sense for the Magic. He's a guy that they can hopefully capitalize on all of his the flashes that they saw at Creighton and the uh, the at- crazy athleticism that they've seen. Of course, he didn't have a great combine performance. He underperformed on a, a lot of the measurements, but uh, outside of that, he still had a solid season, and hopefully that they can uh, use them as a down-the-road asset to develop and uh, look for the future and you know, rebuilding and uh, working with the young core. Yeah, we mentioned earlier in the first episode when we were discussing how do teams build around Jason Tatum, you know, if the Magic want to bring in Jason Tatum. They have to bring in guys who will fit next to him and be able to compliment him, you know, be defensive strengths and not necessarily just be scoring only players because if you have a star like Tatum who's so focused on scoring, you have to find guys who can cover for the other parts of the court. And Patton's a guy who can do that, you know, with that face-up potential providing space for Tatum to work on offense. And then that rim protector upside, given his size at 6'11 with a 7'3 wingspan, 9'3 standing reach, you know, if they can mold him into a rim protector down the line and help build that defense to sort of mask Tatum's weaknesses on that end, which I don't think are that great. I think Tatum could become a good defender, but he's got wane, waning waning effort level on that end. So it'll be interesting to see how the Magic uh, build around Jason Tatum if they do take him. But I think Patton would be a step in the right direction for them trying to build a team around Jason Tatum. Yeah, he would be a good complement to Tatum and makes sense in that new rebuilding phase for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, After the Magic 25, we've got the third first-round pick for the Portland Trailblazers at the number 26 spot. And having gone with a big man at 15, of course, taking that swing for Harry Giles that we mentioned on the first podcast, and then earlier on this one, grabbing a forward, we talked about Shemi Ojale. Some people might think it's a reach, but we thought it was good value getting a getting a solid combo forward for them who can fit what they do and sort of be that sort of player that they've had success with in the past. Now we're looking at guards for them, and there's a very clear guy who I liked a lot fitting in Portland as a combo guard, and that's Frank Jackson from Duke. Um, As we mentioned, I think we mentioned on the uh, Combine Takeaways podcast, it sounds like Frank Jackson probably got a first-round promise from someone, and that's why he chose to keep his name in the draft, and it would not surprise me if the team that gave him that promise was the Portland Trailblazers, you know, having three first-round picks, taking a chance on a guy like Jackson who has that uh, explosive scoring ability and explosive athleticism. I think he's a guy that they could bring in off the bench right away as a microwave scorer who could really be an impact player for them. Yeah, Frank Jackson makes sense as that combo guard that they've been looking for to be able to, if uh, they do need him in the future, that makes sense if they do lose either uh, Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum. Uh, in in a trade or whatnot so being able to have a guy that can also make up for a lot of that scoring and uh show the uh show all of his offensive prowess that he's been flashing at duke that would be an interesting uh fit with them since they have so many first round picks it makes sense that they can uh look at guards and how they can incorporate them into the future so uh, I like Frank Jackson. He he was all right. He wasn't fantastic at Duke, uh, but you know he he's certainly you're looking f- towards the future, and he makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, um, given their current backup guards, you have guys like Shabazz Napier, Tim Quarterman, Pat Connaughton, guys who aren't that great uh, coming off the bench for as uh, for CJ and Dame. Uh, getting a guy like Frank Jackson, who's a bit more reliable than those guys, you know, can add some scoring punch and maybe brings some defensive ability. Didn't show much of it at Duke. Kind of a lazy defender who got back cut a lot. You know, just wasn't wasn't super invested. You know, he, he doesn't really know where he needs to be. He doesn't quite fight through screens and pick and roll defense. Uh, but he's a guy who, you know, more reliable than those other guys that they have in their backcourt off the bench. And, you know, you're not going to get a complete player with the 26th pick. You're going to have guys who have weaknesses. But I think Frank Jackson fits their need of guard after going with uh, forward and big man with their first two picks. So Jackson's a guy who I like for them and I think would be a reasonable selection for the Portland Trailblazers. Yep, he certainly fits what they need. Yeah, um, that brings us to the number 27 pick, uh, another team with multiple first-round picks, the Brooklyn Nets, who are making their second first-round pick. And as we mentioned, um, 
their team needs equal everything. There's nothing there's nothing off the table for the Nets. Uh, they can go anywhere with this pick, which is what makes them fun. But uh, I went with uh, a pick that I think is a good intersection of value and what they might actually do. And I went with Utah's Kyle Kuzma because Kuzma is a guy who, as we mentioned after the combine, was rising up draft boards with his uh, incredible shooting performance and his uh, showing off his elite athleticism for a guy who's six foot nine and a half with a seven foot wingspan. You know, good size for playing power forward. And if he can bring that athleticism and shooting ability to the Nets, I think that would really help them because you know power forward for them last year, like most positions, was a sore spot. You know. Trevor Booker was decent, but Kyle Kuzma would be a nice injection of youth at that position for them, and they would be able to afford giving him a lot of minutes and seeing what he could do with those minutes because Kuzma's a guy who's really improved over the course of his career. You know, uh, two seasons ago at Utah, when that team was led by Jakob Pertl, uh and sort of went to the tournament, and, or they, they did go to the tournament, and uh, Kuzma was more of a secondary piece. He didn't have much of a role on that team, and then, of course, Pirtle left for the draft, and Kuzma took on the leading role and really thrived for that team So, and really improved his efficiency and his production as he got more minutes. So he's a guy who maybe you know continues to improve with the Brooklyn Nets as he gets more of an opportunity on that squad that will have plenty of shots to go around as there aren't many talented players. Yeah, Kuzma's a good value at, uh, at 27. He makes sense with his stellar combine performance and he showed that he can really be an elite shooter and uh, do so many things on the offensive side of the ball. So if the Nets really want to invest all that time that they have and they have so many minutes that they can throw at him, as we've been talking about, it makes sense that he they can develop him pretty quickly and get him uh, to full speed. So if, if they really uh, need, uh, excuse me, as they do need uh, a boost at that power forward spot, yeah, I like Kuzma in Brooklyn. Um, there's a lot of stretch four prospects in this part of the draft. You know, we're a little higher on Cameron Oliver, but he's probably in this range with guys like him, Kuzma. Uh, you mentioned uh, a guy like DJ Wilson, TJ Leafs around here. So there's a number of stretch four prospects, but I think Kuzma is the one that Brooklyn would probably go with in this scenario, just because of his performance at the combine and um, the way that. Uh, I think he's probably a little more talented than guys like DJ Wilson and TJ Leaf. But uh, a lot of people uh, have different opinions on these stretch fours, but I think Kuzma would be the pick for Brooklyn at 27. Next up, we've got the Los Angeles Lakers picking 28th in this in this draft, and it's their second first-round pick that, of course, they acquired from the Houston Rockets in that Lou Williams trade. But I think that the pick here, uh, we're going to lock in this pick. This is a hardwood homies lock-in. We're locked ah. We're locking in this pick. We're locking in Tony Bradley at 28 to the Los Angeles Lakers because I'm almost positive that Magic Johnson made a promise to Tony Bradley that if he's there at 28, the Lakers are taking him. Yeah, man. The uh, the freshman from UNC, uh, I guess he did stay in the draft because Magic Johnson gave him that promise. So he makes a lot of sense for them since they have had flexibility at that center spot with the uh, young core that they're trying to build. So with Tony Bradley, you get a guy that has athleticism and has potential that you can uh, work around and build the offensive uh, prowess alongside guys like D'Angelo Russell and Lonzo Ball. So you get a guy that can be flexible and can work in that system well. So that makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, I mean, they've got Avicii Zubac, but... You know, maybe they're not sure that he's their center of the future. I mean, I wouldn't be sure about anything with this Lakers team, of course. But uh, Bradley's a guy that they can look to develop. You know, maybe not the greatest athlete. Did, struggled with those vertical tests at the combine, that sort of thing. But he's a productive player. You know, snags a ton of rebounds. One of the best rebounders in this class. And just a, a, a sure-handed finisher. One of those guys who, you know, you get it to him near the rim and he'll get it in the basket. Good physical profile. 6'11 with a 7'5 wingspan. 248 pounds, already built, and he's he's got some, you know, little flashes on offense, you know, he's a crafty passer, he draws a lot of fouls, but of course he's pretty limited, doesn't really extend beyond the rim that much, but I think Bradley's a guy that, you know, the Lakers could bring in, and obviously they like him a lot, so I think he's a guy that makes sense, and the reason we're saying this, if you haven't heard before, um, 
He spent an extra day with the Lakers after his pre-draft workout with the team, and it wasn't long after he spent that extra day in L.A. that he announced that he was staying in the draft, and it had been reported that he was looking for a first-round promise to stay in the draft. So uh, I think we're thinking that Magic Johnson made that promise to him, and it's not going to be a surprise when the Harvard homies lock comes true and Tony Bradley goes off the board at number 28 to the Lakers. Yeah, he, he fits well with them, and he makes sense. Uh, the Lakers are looking for uh, that center guy that can really be a, 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 a big piece in their offense. So he'll work well with that young core and makes a lot of sense with their timeline. Yep, exactly. Uh, at number 29, we've got the San Antonio Spurs. And this is a pick that really, I mean, I've been all over the place with this pick. I, I, I had a lot of trouble when putting together this mock draft, figuring out, you know, what are the Spurs going to do? Because the Spurs, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're the Spurs. We're going to put a college senior in this spot and have them develop the college senior or the college production guy. But I don't think that's necessarily the the, the true play. I think the Spurs, I mean, look at what they did last year uh, at the 29th pick. They went with DeJounte Murray, who is kind of an unproven young player. Of course, kind of slid to them as a projected lottery prospect. They ended up getting him at number 29. But... I don't think it's out of the Spurs question to go with an upside play. And that's why with the number 29 pick, we had them taking our guy, Cameron Oliver, uh, power forward from Nevada, with this pick. Yeah, Cameron Oliver makes sense for them at that power, power, power forward spot. This would be a younger guy, only a sophomore for them, that they can bank their future on with that power forward spot, which would work well with their young, uh, their developing core, you know, with Kawhi Leonard and Jonathan Simmons and other guys that they've been able to find uh, throughout the draft. So he is really looked uh, good at Nevada and stood out for a lot of people. So he makes sense. And in that first round, he shows a lot of promise for them and could develop into another one of those really great Spurs system guys. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs have had so much success developing 3 and D guys, and that's exactly what Cameron Oliver is. Um, 3 and D power forwards are pretty rare players. You know, there's not a whole lot of them, but Cameron Oliver has that upside. You know, we've talked before about his phenomenal shot-blocking ability with his athleticism and his seven foot one wingspan. Got that great reach. And he, given that shooting ability that he's shown, you know, 38% three-point shooter at Nevada, I really like Oliver's fit with San Antonio. Yeah, he, he works out well with them and and fits into what the Spurs need to uh, compete for a championship like they do every year. Yep. Uh, Oliver is just, I, I think that they could develop him. You know, he's a guy who's got some questions about his defensive discipline and his IQ on offense. And the Spurs are the perfect place to address those issues because the Spurs can iron out issues with consistency, iron out issues with smartness, and take advantage of guys with great physical profiles. And flashes of skill. Yeah, makes sense. He would, he'd be a really good pick. I think he's you know in that class where you can really uh put some pop magic on him and then uh really work out and capitalize on all of the potential that he has. Yeah, exactly. And that brings us to the last pick of the first round, the last pick of this segment, the Utah Jazz picking at number thirty. Um, this was a, a another pick that I struggled to come up with what they would do. Uh, they took Hartenstein first, so I crossed off big man. And, of course, they have a lot of point guards, you know, Hall Neto, uh, George Hill, Shelvin Mack, uh, Dante Exum. So I didn't really think point guard was a play either. So it's kind of looking on the wing for them. And the Jazz have a lot of uh, players on the wing, though, you know, Alec Burks, uh, Joe Ingles, and Gordon Hayward are free agents, but they might be bringing those guys back. They're hoping to, I'm sure. Uh, Rodney Hood's a young guy. And so... Uh, I think I went with uh, the reason I took this pick was I wanted the Jazz to go with an upside play here. I wanted them to grab a guy who, you know, maybe not be a sure thing, but they could definitely, you know, see what they can develop him into. And that's why I had the Jazz taking Terrence Ferguson with this pick, the uh, six foot seven shooting guard that played with the Adelaide 36ers in the NBL last season. Yeah, he, he makes sense for them. Uh, we. We there's a lot of uncertainty on where Terrence Ferguson will go since so many people uh, value his uh, or have different perceptions on his uh, shooting and how elite he is. So that'll be interesting to see where he falls. But the Jazz could certainly use him. He has a, a great physical profile for that shooting guard spot at six seven and has a lot of athleticism and uh, of course as you're talking about 
can be a elite shooter for the Jazz that need that offensive boost if they do, you know, lose one of their premier guys. So that'll be interesting to see if how they are able to incorporate Terrence Ferguson, who's such a high-powered offensive weapon, and uh, with those other guys that they have, and if they are able to make that step next season to, you know, elevating their team even more. Yeah, I think Ferguson is probably not a guy who's going to contribute next season. I mean, we've highlighted his struggles with the 36ers before, just talking about, you know, his per of only, I think, 5.5. Very bad number. Just had a lot of struggles last season playing with pro guys. But the Jazz are a team that can have Ferguson come off the bench or even hardly play at all for a couple years while they develop his game. You know, we've mentioned his inconsistent shot. And obviously, we're a little lower on him than most people are. I've got him as, I think, the number 48 player on my board. But it, it's hard for me to imagine him slipping out of the first round in reality. And the Jazz are a team that makes sense for him. So we ended up mocking him to them with this scenario. And I, I do think that this is a reasonable intersection of value and fit just because the Jazz aren't going to be putting too much expectation on his shoulders and they're going to be giving him time to develop versus a team that, you know, where he's the only first round pick and they have a lot more, a lot higher expectations of him. Yeah, he's a guy that they can really uh, develop and be able to give him limited minutes uh, over the next few years, but we'll be able to look at his upside and see what he can do in the future and when they're able to iron out those, you know, inconsistencies or problems that he we had he had uh, playing with the 36ers. Then he can really become a, uh, a valuable offensive piece. So that'll be interesting to see what he becomes uh, down the road. Yeah, exactly. Ferguson is one of those guys who could go all over the place on draft night. I mean, you remember last year, Deontay Davis, a projected lottery pick, fell all the way to the Grizzlies at number 35. Uh, Ferguson could be another guy like that who has projections all over the board and, and ends up sliding or going higher on draft night than expected. So that takes us to the end of the first round and the end of the second segment of our mock draft series. Uh, be sure to tune back on Tuesday next week for the next 15 picks of the draft. Uh, numbers 31 through 45. This is a real interesting section where you have a lot of these guys who are fringe first-round prospects in a stacked class to see where they end up. Uh, some of our favorite guys end up in this range, guys like Wesley Wundu and Sterling Brown. So be sure to check that out. And if you haven't already, um, um, I'm surprised you made it through this one without listening to the first Mock Draft podcast. But if you haven't, go listen to it for sure because it's a good one. And if you want to visit my draft notebook, definitely do that to check out my big board at rebrand.ly slash jhoydraft and once again be sure to leave a review so other people can find the show we're very thankful for all the support and we'd love to see it continue and yeah tune back next week for parts three and four because they're coming out and this draft is going to have an interesting second round you know for the draft junkies the second round matters a lot more than it does for most people so we'll be sure to include talk on that so that people can get to see you know what's going on in the second round of this year's draft yeah, well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with some second-round knowledge, dropping some bombs. So we'll catch you guys soon, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Yep, see you later.